Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. It's Thursday, June 1st. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. Before he was appointed St. Louis Circuit Attorney, Gabriel Gore was a partner at a major law firm, so he knew some financial sacrifice would be required if he was selected. But at a time when people are telling you that you are in a position to be of service to the community, it's kind of hard to say, well, I don't want to take the pay cut. Gore speaks with St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman in just a few minutes. St. Louis-based BJC Healthcare is planning to combine with St. Luke's Health in Kansas City. St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Fenton reports executives from the two systems have signed a letter of intent to merge. St. Luke's is a faith-based hospital network that operates 14 locations in the bi-state Kansas City area and employs around 13,000 people. A news release states once the merger is complete, the health systems will maintain their existing names and brands and operate from dual headquarters in St. Louis and Kansas City. BJC President Richard Leikweg says the merger will result in a, quote, stronger financial foundation that the two companies can use to invest in employees and technology. Officials say they expect the two companies will reach a definitive agreement before the end of the year. The decision will be subject to approval from regulators. Since 2012, St. Luke's has been part of the BJC Collaborative, a group of health systems that work to pool resources and save money. I'm Sarah Fenton, St. Louis Public Radio. St. Luke's in Kansas City does not operate St. Luke's hospitals in Chesterfield or De Pere. Missouri is under a drought alert. Governor Mike Parson has signed an executive order allowing state agencies to work together to provide resources and assistance. It's a proactive step to help mitigate the impact of drought conditions. Parson says farmers and ranchers are starting to see the early effect on livestock and crops. He says the state is committed to easing the strain of drought on farming families while protecting food supply chains. A Republican congressman from southeast Missouri says a debt limit package that passed in Washington is a win for his party. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum has more on why Congressman Jason Smith is backing the plan. As chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Smith played a role in negotiating the package that will likely avert the nation from default. While he would like to see the bill go further, he says he's in favor of reducing spending for the Internal Revenue Service and placing some work requirements on things like government food assistance. Even though some of Smith's GOP colleagues are blasting the deal, he says that it features some conservative victories amid divided government. This will be the first um, debt limit increase um, for final passage of a bill that I've ever voted for in my tenure. If the bill gets through Congress, it would suspend the nation's debt limit until 2025. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio. Three other members of Missouri's delegation, Democrat Cory Bush, along with Republicans Eric Burleson and Mark Alford, voted against the bill. Members of Illinois' congressional delegation in the Metro East are split over the legislation. Congressman Nikki Budzinski voted for the bill. Republican Representatives Mike Bost and Mary Miller both voted against the legislation. A coalition of regional leaders has agreed to apply for a training and education program aimed at reducing violent crime. As St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Kellogg reports, the decision comes two weeks after the city hosted a summit focused on crime. 
Leaders across the St. Louis area have agreed to move forward on participating in a multi-day training and education session aimed at reducing crime. Members of the East-West Gateway Council of Governments through a voice vote approved of applying for the session provided by the Violence Reduction Center. Jim Wild, executive director of the council, whose members include elected officials in St. Louis and its surrounding counties, as well as other community members, spoke on the council's recommendation to apply for the program. It's really kind of plan the plan or a train the trainer situation. Uh, they'll help you work on developing uh, a blueprint for developing a regional crime strategy. According to the center's website, it gives instructions to leaders on, quote, how to choose, apply, and align the right combination of anti-violence strategies for their area. I'm Sarah Kellogg, St. Louis Public Radio. A Missouri man's execution set for next week has been halted by a federal judge over questions of whether a juror could read and write. Sam Zeff reports. 42-year-old Michael Tysis was convicted of killing two Boone County jail guards during a botched escape attempt more than 20 years ago. His lawyers recently revealed that at a resentencing hearing in 2010, one of the jurors couldn't read and write. Missouri law says jurors must be literate. The state Supreme Court ruled Tysis could be executed, but a federal judge granted a motion to halt it for now till an evidentiary hearing can be held. The Missouri Attorney General says the order will be appealed. I'm Sam Zeff. Almost immediately after Kim Gardner abruptly left the circuit attorney post last month, people told Gabriel Gore he should apply for the job. Gore tells St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Littman it was flattering to hear people say he had the skill set to stabilize the office and that the position was something he needed to seriously consider. As I thought about it, I kind of fairly quickly concluded that the only reasons I wouldn't do it would be because it's going to be something that's very challenging um, given the state the office is currently in, but not taking on something because it's challenging isn't the way I approach things, so that didn't discourage me. And secondly, I did realize that if I took the position of circuit attorney and left my law firm, there would be some financial sacrifice. But again, um, at a time when people are telling you that you are in a position to be of service to the community, it's kind of hard to say, well, I don't want to take the pay cut. So um, it ended up being a very easy decision to put my my name in. Take me to the moment when you got the call from Governor Parson that the job was yours if you wanted it. I was actually in Springfield, Missouri. At that point, I was very nervous that I wouldn't get it. Um, I was actually through the appointment process, really became excited about the opportunity to play a role in restoring the circuit attorney's office to its place in the criminal justice system. So I was just very excited. You described your prosecutorial philosophy as looks at the facts and enforces the law as written. Can you explain that a little more? No, it's, it's <laughs> I don't know if I can explain it. It's, it's really um, the approach I have taken throughout my legal career. And, and as far as I know, it's the only approach you can take. When you start taking approaches to the law that, you know, is trying to align with um, particular um, labels, uh, I, I, I think there's problems there. 
Obviously, the circuit attorney can set the tone and the direction of the office, but it is still very much fundamentally a managerial and a management role of people. What's your managerial philosophy? I've been practicing law for nearly 30 years. Um, All of that time has been spent in what we would refer to as litigation shops. And I think I know a lot about what people who prosecute cases are looking for in a work environment. You're looking for a law office where the pursuit of excellence is the guiding standard. You also want to work in an office that has a collegial environment. And then, of course, you know, as a prosecutor's office, you have to do everything with just the highest level of integrity. What lessons do you plan to bring from your time on the Ferguson Commission to the circuit attorney's office? I do feel like uh, through that process, I learned a lot about the challenges that St. Louis faces. And a lot of those challenges, of course, still persist. And I also think just being a good listener is is something that I really had to learn on the Ferguson Commission, because that's a lot of what we did, um, was listening to the community, listening to people's uh, issues and needs and and coming up with ways to respond to that. So uh, those two things for sure. What is your message to supporters of your predecessor who believe that she was driven from office as the result of racist and sexist attacks? My goal is to do the work that is necessary to provide a high level of public safety for all St. Louisans. Um, and that would include them and their families. And regardless of their views about how it came about that I became circuit attorney, I I would hope that they would respect that the work we're doing is for the benefit of the community. That was St. Louis Circuit Attorney Gabriel Gore speaking with St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Ashley Lissenby is the news director of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.